Join me, Dr. Cathy Weston, for my podcast series, Get a Grip, brought to you by Tooled Up Education, the home of evidence-based tips on parenting, family life and education. In each podcast, I help unpick some of the trickier questions relating to how we raise children today. How do we talk to children about mental health? How can we make sure our children engage safely with the digital world? Whose responsibility is the mental health education of our children, teachers or parents? These podcasts get me talking and you thinking. I've reached out to today's thought leaders and main researchers in this area and asked them their views on the areas where we need to get a grip. Professor Suzanne Graham is Professor of Language and Education at the Institute of Education, University of Reading. She has researched and published widely in the area of language learning at school from primary education to post-16. Her main areas of focus include language learning motivation, metacognition and language learning, vocabulary development and language comprehension, alongside a growing interest in the relationship between creativity and language learning. Her primary languages work includes a longitudinal study of young learners of French, exploring the impact of teacher and teaching factors on learning outcomes. Well, very warm welcome, Suzanne. How are you? Hello. Nice to be here. Thank you. You too. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Many of the teachers in our schools have been very excited about this particular interview with you. And we know that you've done some tremendously interesting work. And we know that there's a whole new renewed interest in language learning in school and caring about how we can really elevate language learning and and just taking a great interest in the current research So tell us a little bit, what does the research tell us about the benefits of language learning in general, and especially in terms of sort of transferable life skills as well? Mm -hmm. Well, so we often talk about the potential benefits of language learning from a sort of cognitive or mental perspective, social and economic benefits of language learning. But I think the research is fairly mixed in terms of the the results that it's produced. And we know quite a lot more about the benefits of language learning when that language learning happens outside of school. So, for example, there's some research that indicates that multilingual individuals have greater mental flexibility because being multilingual means that you have to switch from one language to another, and that may help individuals become more flexible in their thinking, more mentally agile. But not much of that research, if any, really has been conducted in school settings. I mean, I think in terms of school settings and the benefits of language learning, the amount of research that has been done is fairly small, but there is some indication that there is a relationship between creativity and language learning. So being more creative might help you in terms of your language learning, but there's less clear-cut evidence as to whether learning a language actually helps you be creative, although the research that I've conducted indicates that that might be a possibility. I think one area where learning a language does have a lot of potential benefits is in terms of developing learners' open-mindedness with regard to other cultures, being open to other people's experiences, developing empathy. And that's certainly an area that I'm interested in in developing a stronger evidence base for that. In terms of things like literacy development, again, fairly small amounts of research that has been done. 
It's not something that I've researched, but colleagues at Oxford University, for example, conducted a study which indicated that learning Italian at primary school had some benefits for English literacy for young learners. I think the thinking there is, is that literacy development is kind of a shared pool of knowledge and skills and that anything you do in any language adds to that pool of knowledge and expertise. And I think that that makes sense. And I think finally, you know, learning a language is challenging. It requires you to be persistent, to keep going. If you develop those skills through language learning, that has benefits that are transferable to other contexts. I mean, I'm sitting here, I'm a criminologist by background, and I'm thinking about this angle of cognitive flexibility and the, you know, it's so critical for young people's resilience, for being able to, you know, there are a lot of employability skills linked Mm -hmm. to that cognitive flexibility. So it's so interesting that you mention that. And I think that's sort of what you've made me think about is whether or not language teachers purposefully might use creative you know, pedagogies in terms of the actual teaching of foreign languages. So that's also something very mm-hmm. interesting as well. In terms of your own work, now we've read about it. We've read about this sort of demotivation in young people. The other day I was speaking to a young person. He's the only person studying A-level French in an entire secondary school. And as someone who loves French, that's mm-hmm. devastating. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about where we are in terms of foreign language teaching. What do we know about young people's trajectories in terms of motivation Mm -hmm. and attainment? Okay, so we've said that learning a language has potential benefits, but also that it's quite a hard thing to do. You need, you know, to be persistent. I think, you know, particularly in the context that we have in this country, we have possibly all the unhelpful ingredients for language learning. So we have little input for the language that we're learning. There's not, you know, there isn't much French, German or Spanish or whatever in the environment around us. We have fairly limited amounts of curriculum time in schools with which, you know, in which to learn a language. There are few instrumental or career related reasons to learn a language. And, and those three elements, I think, mean that Levels of proficiency in language learning tend to be quite low, as we might expect, because we don't give learners much time to develop their language. And hence, motivation also tends to be low, lower than it is in other countries. So to me, the the proficiency and the motivation elements go together to a large extent. So, you know, for instance, in England at the moment, the number or the percentage of learners over the age of 14 who go on to continue with a language is round about the 50% level. It, you know, it's up and down from one year to the next. So, you know, half of children don't study a language beyond the age of 14. Some don't even go beyond the age of 11 because they're removed from classes by their schools. And I think uptake is particularly concerning in areas of the country where, you know, that are more economically deprived, for example. So we know that from primary through to secondary school, learners have less access to curriculum time in which to study languages are much less likely to have a, a, you know, trained proficient teacher or less likely to study a language later. So the conditions are not that favourable in this country, particularly if you come from a, a less 
economically favoured part of the country. I mean, I think it's also true to say, though, that motivation is very changeable at different phases of people's lives. So, for example, the research suggests, generally speaking, that at primary school and particularly at the start of primary school language learning, motivation is high. So learners tend to be enthusiastic. They enjoy learning a language. Their motivation is generally high at the beginning. And throughout primary school, although it wanes a little bit as they, you know, as they reach the end of primary school, it tends to dip then at secondary school. In my own longitudinal study that you mentioned, we actually found something a little bit different from other studies in that once learners arrived at secondary school, their motivation actually went up a bit because they had this sense of greater progress. They were learning more. But then it waned again at the end of year seven, the first year of secondary school. And that's a a finding that's fairly consistent, that it's high and then it goes down by the end of the first year or into the second year of secondary school. And, you know, in terms of selling, I find myself in this position recently with my 16-year-old sort of selling him the idea of A-level French. And he was like, well, what can I do with it? What's mm-hmm. it for? You know, and I was as someone who has done A-level French. I found myself in that position of listing off all the wonderful things that I think, whereas he was thinking about career. He mm-hmm. was thinking about economic security. And it, it was quite a challenging discussion. So what is your sort of advice to either parents or educators in terms of selling the mm-hmm. idea of learning languages? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I think, you know, we often talk about trying to make young people aware of the economic benefits of learning a language. But I really think that that perhaps is not the best approach because, you know, I'm not sure that the economic benefits are that clear cut in comparison with other subjects. So we might be better off in terms of emphasising the other benefits which learners, I think, are aware of, but we need to emphasise more. So my own research has found consistently that learners do value language learning. They do see them as important for travel, for friendship, for learning more about the world, for social reasons. And I think that, you know, motivation for language learning is like motivation for anything else insofar as it's driven by the need to feel competent and successful at something you value. So those two things, to me, are really really essential. So they've got to feel competent, but to feel competent in doing something that is important to them. So, you know, learning about culture could be part of that. It was certainly something that the primary school learners we worked with, you know, said that they enjoyed. But that longitudinal study of primary school learners, I think, also gave a good example of this, you know, the way in which this sense of competence and sense of value are both important. So we followed around 250 learners of French from primary school into secondary school over around three years. And consistently, they said that French was important, learning French was important, mainly for travel and for, you know, for communicating with speakers of the language however at the same time the area in which they felt they had the least confidence they felt the least competent was having a conversation with a real French person so it seemed to us that there was very much a mismatch between what they valued about language learning communicating 
and what they felt competent to do. And then that was also borne out in what they told us that they would like to change particularly about secondary school learning. So they said they wanted more game-based learning, more speaking and interacting, and more group work. And so, you know, I think having a close match between what learners perceive to be the purpose of learning a language, what they value about language learning, and equipping them to do that, that's to me is the secret of motivation. And I don't think we, we're quite there in terms of doing that. And it's obvious that better off children will have been to Paris, will have experienced that conversation in the cafe and had that buzz of being understood. And not all children can actually be in contexts where that language is spoken so fluently. Mm-hmm. So I think that's you know what you're saying is making me think about that sort of disparity of experience, because in order to feel successful, it's nice to be understood speaking French in a cafe. And that's not an experience that's open to all. No, it isn't. But I think we can, you know, there are things we can do in schools to bring the language into the classroom or into what learners do at home in terms of things like reading and listening. So, you know, the internet has lots of possibilities. And I think one of the other things that I've tried to do in my work is to increase learners' confidence and competence in reading and listening comprehension by you know, giving them ways in which they can make the most to make the best of the knowledge that they have to gain access to the kinds of material that they would be interested in reading or listening to in their own language. And to me, you know, those factors are important for language learning. And it's quite exciting, even in, I was in a bookshop in Cambridge recently, Heifers, and they have a whole range of books in French for young children, for primary school children. So there is a lot of interesting material out there that presumably even primary school teachers or parents could sort Mm -hmm. of um, access. What about for primary school teachers? You know, they'll come from different backgrounds, have varying degrees of knowledge and expertise in language. How might that impact on sort of the quality of teaching children receive at primary school in particular? Yes, so those factors do matter. So the primary study that that I've talked about already, you know, look very much at what was the impact of the teaching approach that the teacher followed the teacher's level of French proficiency, the amount of teaching time that the the children experienced and the amount of training that that teachers had. Also, learners' level of English literacy. So English literacy was really important. It was the most important factor. But after that, in terms of the factors that the teacher brought, the most important factor was the amount of time learners were spending learning French in the classroom. And so we found that learners who had 60 minutes of of French a week, compared with, say, 30, 40 minutes, did make much more progress. And that progress continued into secondary school. So time matters. After teaching time, the next most important factor was the teacher's level of, of French proficiency. So we had teachers who had a degree in French teachers who were native speakers of French, teachers who had a GCSE or below. And we found that the most even and steady progress was made by learners where the teacher had a degree, which meant that they offered a good model of pronunciation, but they were able to simplify their language 
enough for learners to understand. Now, I know that's difficult for teachers, but they can substitute a good model of pronunciation through recordings, for example. But it is important. It is important that teachers have that training to enable them to offer learners those good models of pronunciation. And it's important also, I think, that those factors come together. So the schools where progress was most evident in our studies, they had lots of those factors together. So the learners were taught by a competent teacher, you know, with good French, good training. They had 60 minutes a week. And, you know, having all those things probably also meant that the head teacher was well disposed towards language learning. So often it's not just one thing in isolation. It's having the whole package together that matters. Yeah, and everyone under everyone behind that kind of language teaching. And yeah, that's wonderful. What about those transitional points between primary and secondary school? You know, you've mentioned that kind of dip potentially in motivation around year seven or eight. What advice do you have about sort of transition in general when between those sorts of expectations of learning and between those two settings? Yeah, so transition is is hugely important. It, it is fairly challenging, I think, to, to manage. You know, it's, it's the sort of thorny question that we, we still haven't really found a way of, uh, of resolving. So it is important that secondary school teachers know what learners have, have learned at, at primary school and they try to build on what has been learned because, you know, starting all over again, not making progress is demotivating. So this having a sense of progress and moving forward is key to motivation. For secondary school teachers to be able to do that well, it's important that primary school language teaching is perhaps more consistent than it is in terms of the levels we're getting learners to, yes. And so that, you know, that involves schools really working hard to get sufficient curriculum time and to safeguard time for languages in the curriculum at primary school but then communication between primary and secondary schools is also important what have learners brought with them when they move into secondary school you know i'd also return to my earlier argument about the importance of trying to align teaching at secondary school with what learners value what they've enjoyed at primary school and carrying that forward into secondary school so not having a sudden switch between a very game-based approach to language learning that uses lots of imaginative activities, storytelling, to an approach that might be more textbook-based, more grammar-based, more test-based, because we kind of know that learners find that transition difficult. I mean, I'd also say that at secondary school, we could give learners a really good boost to their motivation, to a sense of making a lot of progress by really trying to improve their oral communication in the early months of year seven so that they feel that they are actually making a lot of progress in their speaking skills. Yeah, I love that idea. I know a local secondary school who brought them all down to the French market that was in their town and they had to order all their lunch in French, you know, Mm -hmm. just sort of, you know, living it before they sort of study it a little bit. 
So I want to go back to what you mentioned earlier about creativity and language mm -hmm. learning. In one of your papers, you comment that the creative languages classroom should allow learners to express a range of opinions, perspectives, offer a learning environment with that sort of experimentation and imagination rather than just linguistic accuracy or valued. And the creative languages classroom would also provide stimulation emotional literacy, give children opportunities to consider and empathize with the experiences and perspectives of others as a sort of a form of imaginative understanding. And I know you've conducted research looking at poetry, use of literary texts. So tell us a little bit more about that and its sort of application. Okay, so I've already mentioned a little bit that there is this link that's been found in some studies between creativity and language learning, because, you know, both of them share this idea of flexibility, openness to different positions and, and perspectives. And so I think, therefore, it's important to tap into that common ground. I think also those creative approaches, those empathetic approaches have the potential to boost learners' sense of personal involvement in the language learning process. So, you know, rather than seeing language learning as just another school subject, more creative approaches could help learners understand that, you know, language is a living thing. It is something that is at the centre of who we are as human beings. And so I tried to draw on some of those ideas in a study I conducted a, a few years ago with year nine learners, so learners at age about 14 at secondary school, with about 500 learners. And, and so we exposed these learners and we asked their teachers to use two different kinds of text. So half of the learners read poems in either French or German. The other half of the group read authentic texts that were not poems. They were kind of factual texts, but they were about the same topics use similar language. We then asked the teachers to use both of those text types in two different ways. The first way we called a functional teaching approach, and that really just focused on the grammar and the vocabulary of the materials. What we called a creative teaching approach asked teachers and learners to focus on generating learners' personal involvement with the text. So, you know, to try to get them interested in the emotional content of the poem, to express the feelings that the poems or the text evoked in them, to look at how the language in the text was used to evoke emotions. And so we looked at whether those two different approaches, different text types, whether they had different impacts, firstly, on learners' creativity which we can measure objectively through psychological tests, and whether those different approaches had different impacts on learners' vocabulary and then other aspects of their language learning. So one important finding was that for learners of French, we found that their creativity increased when they studied poems and when they studied poems using that creative approach. So that was quite exciting that we saw that actually we could boost creativity through certain kinds of texts and certain kinds of teaching approaches. In terms of vocabulary, we found that the poems in particular were beneficial for learners learning the words in the texts. And we also found that there was a very positive approach on general vocabulary learning 
from a creative teaching approach. We also found, however, other evidence that probably combining both of those approaches in some way would appeal to the widest range of learners because learners are all individuals and what works for one learner won't necessarily work for everyone. Lovely. And we know that, you know, assessment is something teachers have to sort of partake in. And we've talked already about learner motivation and self-esteem, but we've heard about something called the language magician assessment tool, which sounds incredibly exciting. So please tell us a little bit about it and <laughs> crucially how teachers can use it. Okay, thanks. Yeah, so the language magician grew very much out of the primary research project that I've talked about. And I mentioned that, you know, in that project, we found that learners need to have this sense of continuing progress to feel motivated. We also found that learners didn't like the assessment much that they experienced at secondary school. And so I was approached by the Goethe Institute, which is the German cultural body that promotes the German language, to take part in a project called the Language Magician an Erasmus Plus funded project where around about 10 European partners work together to create a computer game based assessment tool, which can be used to assess learners progress in a range of European languages. So I think it covers English, French, German, Italian, and Spanish, it's free. And it's aimed at children aged between seven and 12 years of age, depending on how many hours of language learning they've experienced. So the idea is, is that the teacher uses the game periodically, so not all the time, but maybe at the beginning or the end of a term or a year. The pupils play the game as individuals. They take the role of a young magician who lives on a farm, and at the beginning of the story, everything's happy, wonderful. The magician's there with lots of nice animals. But one day an evil magician appears and captures all the animals and turns them into door knockers. So the player's task is to try to overcome that, to free the animals by casting spells that involve completing language activities. So there's this strong game, fun-based element as they work through these language tasks. At the end of the game, the teacher then gets feedback on the learner's scores, as does the learner, and the learner gets a certificate so that they can see how well they've done. And, you know, I think we, we've also looked at what learners feel about using that game. I looked at that with my colleague Louise Courtney, and we found that not only did learners enjoy the game very much, they liked it for the sense of challenge they experienced in you know, doing something that was perhaps a bit more demanding than what they normally did. They also liked the fact that it told them how well they were doing in their language learning. And, you know, they felt that they were motivated to keep going through the task by the game light aspect. So teachers can get the game for free. They can register for the game at thelanguagemagician.net. I think, you know, if you're, you're a parent, you can also perhaps get the game if you register as a, a homeschooler and then you log your learner in and, and on off you go. Sounds fantastic. I can't wait to have a go at that. And we know that you've put together lesson plans, resources for teachers. We're really, really keen to hear what your sort of top tip resources are for teachers listening, please. Well, so there are lots of interesting 
resources out there. I mean, in terms of my own work, so the creativity project that I mentioned, those lesson plans and materials are out there on the website associated with that project. So if you search for creative multilingualism, you should find the Creative ML website. I also have uh, another website, which is pdcinmfl.com, which has a section of authentic French resources, including video materials, simple text, which have kind of been selected to be challenging, but not too challenging, but to be interesting for young learners. And so I think, you know, there are things out there that learners and teachers can access. But the the key thing, I think, is to select things that provide just the right amount of challenge, not too much, not too little, but that also teachers provide scaffolding and support and perhaps model strategies that learners can use to understand language that might be just a bit beyond their current level of competence. And that just requires teachers knowing their pupils and using that sort of pool of resources to choose from and think about the adaptation into their own sort of classroom environment. Absolutely. Lastly, you've mentioned parents can use the magician assessment tool for those of us trying to motivate and encourage our children to engage with language learning. Would you recommend a sort of a similar approach to sort of, you know, enjoyment, modeling joy of learning languages, you know, opportunities that arise? Absolutely. I mean, I think the key thing for parents is to develop positive attitudes in their children, to convey the sense that language learning is something for everyone. Everyone can do it. It's not just for certain people. I think, you know, language learning is a bit like maths, actually. It's, it seems to be quite cool and acceptable to say we're hopeless at maths or we're hopeless at languages but actually there's no reason why we should be and I think that if parents convey positive messages to their children that it is possible to be good at this to you know that you have to persevere but you can get there and that everyone can achieve something that's really important to have fun to enjoy it to have positive attitudes to people who speak other languages for the insights that those bring us into other ways of living. I think those things are the most important things that parents and carers can offer their children. I noticed a dad in the GP surgery waiting room the other day on Duolingo, teaching Mm -hmm. himself Mandarin in front of his children. So they started to participate. And, you know, I think that was absolutely amazing. He wasn't sort of playing a game. He was learning a language in his free time in the waiting room. Yeah. You know, it was lovely. So Suzanne, tell us very briefly, what exciting projects are you doing at the minute? We love to hear what's going on in the world of research. Okay, so I'm currently working with my colleague Alison Porter at the University of Southampton on a really exciting project called DELTAIA, which stands for Digital Empowerment for Language Teachers. And it's exploring the extent to which we can use digital technology to provide training for primary language teachers that improves their motivation for language teaching their confidence and competence in language teaching. And then from the learner perspective, we're looking at how far digital stories can help us improve learners' language literacy, their language proficiency, and also their creativity and empathy for speakers of other languages. So that's a really exciting digital technology project 
with primary school language learners and teachers. That sounds fantastic. And I'm sure every teacher listening to this will be able to keep an eye out for that particular research and to follow you on Twitter. I think you're at, at Suzanne with a Z, Jane, and then G-R-A-H for Graham. That's, that that's me. That's me. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for all of the amazing work you do in this area. And we can't wait to share those suggestions and resources with the listening teachers. Thank you so much, Suzanne. Thank you very much. It's been lovely talking to you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. This Get a Grip podcast is brought to you by Tooled Up Education, the home of evidence-based tips on parenting, family life and education. www.tooledupeducation.com Parents and teachers in Tooled Up Schools can also access notes accompanying each podcast available to read and download from the Tooled Up site.